We're in Matthew uh, chapter 26 and uh, getting to some really intense stuff. If you, uh, it, how many of you took time last week and, and just sat down and read through to the end? Really? Thank you. Thank you. Jesus just went, check. Um, the rest of you, he's shaking his head going, really? Um, okay, I did say you have two weeks, so you have one more week to do it. Um, to sit down and to read it through. Remember, if you remember, I encouraged you to, to sit down, to go into a quiet place and to, and to just plow through. And it's really not that much. Um, uh, chapters 26, 27, and 28. To read this climactic movement of the gospel story um, in one sitting because it is powerful. It's amazing stuff. Uh, it, it's really cool to see it and, and to play. I mean, my mind sometimes works in, in the, the form of a movie. And so um, I just see all of this intrigue and scene shifting and moving back and forth and the betrayal. And then, I mean, just everything that goes on. It's amazing stuff that happens right here. And so last week we, um, we talked about the plot to kill Jesus. Jesus is anointed um, by um, the unnamed woman. And um, y'all didn't get this, but 11 o'clock did. Uh, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. Yeah, sorry, I went a little further last, uh, at the 11 o'clock. So we find ourselves at verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread... The disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover supper? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover supper there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12 disciples. While they were eating, he said, the truth is one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, one by one, they began to ask him, I'm not the one, am I, Lord? He replied, one of you who is eating with me now will betray me. For I, the Son of Man, must die as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for my betrayer. Far better for him if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Teacher, I'm not the one, am I? And Jesus told him, you have said it yourself. As they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and asked God's blessing on it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which seals the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the mount. Of olives. Okay. A lot going on. First of all, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover. It is something that they would have celebrated with Jesus for the last few years. It was a normal occurrence for them. This was something that the Jews would have celebrated since the Exodus. The Passover celebration, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is where it begins. But the Passover celebration is a celebration of um, remembering that God's hand delivered the Jewish people from slavery. And there's this long meal. So, so what's happening here is the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, you are the head of this little group. So you would be the natural leader for the Passover meal. The past couple of years, you lead it. You're still leading it. Where do you want us to do this? And Jesus has already made plans where this will happen. If you remember, they're staying outside of the city. They're staying in Bethany. 
just outside of Jerusalem because at the Passover time, the, the population would have swollen to millions of people because Jews from all over would come. It was okay to stay outside of Jerusalem, but when you celebrated the meal, you needed to go into the city. So Jesus had already arranged with someone that I'm going to send you in. The password is password. You know, it's like the secret little thing. Um, oh, you're the guys come upstairs to the upper room and we'll get started. And the disciples would have gone. This would have been on Thursday. They would have been doing the preparations for the meal, which means they would have been getting all leavened bread out of the house. They would have searched for it, gotten rid of it, done this little thing. And then at that evening, 6 p.m. is when Friday begins, Passover, 6 p.m. on Thursday. It's calendar, Jewish calendar thing. This is when it says in the evening, Jesus comes and they begin to have the meal. Now, the meal would have been a four, five hour meal. It ain't like McDonald's. You come, you sit down and you go through this Haggadah which is um, uh, the Hebrew word for to tell a story, essentially. And what they're doing is they're telling the story of the exodus of the Jewish people. We were slaves in Egypt. Cry out for God to save us. We go through the plagues, the ten plagues. One by one, you discuss them. It would have been a lively conversation. It would have been deep talk. Even though it happened every year, it was something so magnificent in the life of the Jew that it would have brought forth great conversation. So this meal takes a long time. And so it is in the course of this meal during the Haggadah when Jesus throws out, and by the way, one of you is going to betray me. He had been following the script up until this point because there is kind of a script that goes along with this. There are certain things that happen at the very beginning. The leader, Jesus, would have lit two candles um, and, and would have told a blessing over those candles. There would have been four cups of wine that would have been consumed during um, the course of the meal. Some of you just went, all right, Passover, just went up a couple notches, right? So four cups of wine that are um, consumed during this, this meal. And they each stood for something, the four promises of God found in Exodus. And so during this time, he would have said uh, different Barukata Adonai Elohenu, one of the things that we just say, but blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, and gone on in Hebrew, I don't know it, for creating the fruit of the vine. And there would have been this prescribed thing in prayers, and you would have sung um, uh, the Hallel, praise psalms, different ones, Psalms 113 through 118, something like that, throughout this meal. And so at some point, we know it's before the third cup, and I'll tell you why in just a second. He stops and he says, one of you is going to betray me. And the disciples flip out. What? It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. Now, the gospel is written much after the events happen. Because when it says Judas, the one who would betray him, they didn't know. Only Judas and Jesus knew that it was him. And so Judas is like, oh, but it's not me. And Jesus loving looks at him. He calls him out on his sin and he looks at him. He says, really? Now there's a whole lot about Judas. 
whole lot written that, you know, a couple of years ago, there was that book that was written, uh, what was it the gospel of Judas or something that came out and there's this fire storm outside of the church for people who want to think that we don't have faith and, and stuff that goes on. And, and so there's this weird thing that went on, but there's a lot about Judas that, that we can really get into. And, and I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more when we come up to Judas again, um, a little bit later. Uh, but I want to focus on the meal because, you know, he sits with um, his disciples and they would have sat around more than likely a round ish table and they would not have been in chairs. They would have been reclining, um, just kind of relaxed, chilling out on pillows. And the story would have gone and they would have been talking about the redemption of God. And then there would have been uh, a time in the meal when you would take matzah this bread and you would break this bread and you would take this charoset, um, uh, this paste and, and you would paste it on. And there's a, a great significance to that. And then after that, you would drink the third cup and the third cup was the cup of redemption, the cup of redemption. And, and, and this cup was to signify that God redeemed his people. It's this cup. We know that it is this cup because right there he takes the bread and he breaks the bread, but he goes way off script and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And now, so these guys would have gone through this Passover ceremony with him for the last few years, but with their families, their entire lives. The kids play an actual important role in the Passover meal. There's very specific elements for only kids. Why? Because they need to know these stories. Something that we forget a lot of times. But as Daryl has done the Shema a lot of times, it says, teach them to your children. One of the promises that we make to God is, you know, there is one God but you and we will teach our children that. And so in this, there is uh, places for the kids to, to, to play, roles for them to play. And so these disciples, John being the youngest, would have known this. And James, and they all would have known these stories and this Passover meal. So it's so familiar to them. And they get into these conversations. And here we go to the matzah and the charaset, And we're going to start spreading it. There's a blessing that goes along with it. There's a story that goes along with it. But Jesus goes, this is my body. which is given for you. And then he takes the third cup and it wouldn't have happened immediately. There would have been a little bit of things that happened in between these two moments. And you, you must have, I, I just think about the disciples. They spent all of this time with Jesus and, and they're in You're him. We know it. But as we, as we read the story, you can see that they go back and forth as to what type of Messiah he needs could, should be. Right. They keep going back to that. OK, you're going to be this political ruler and and oust the Romans and we're going to move this kingdom in. And, and all along, Jesus keeps saying, that's not the type of kingdom that I'm bringing. And he gets to this point and it's just like you can just see um, the people like Peter's like, no. Thomas is going, oh, whatever. I don't know. You know, who knows what they were thinking, but all this kind of commotion and they're probably turning to one another going, wait, what is that? Why did he deviate from that? There must be something there. 
if he broke thousands of years of tradition, what is happening? And then he gets to the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he blesses God for it. Bless are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, for creating the fruit of the vine. He says, take this drink. It's my blood. Wait. No, this is the cup of redemption when God redeems the people, Israel, out of, out of Egypt. And Jesus is like, yeah, this is the cup of redemption. It signifies my blood, which will redeem all. I can't imagine what must have been going through the disciples' minds. First, the bread thing, and now he goes to the cup thing, and you're like, whoa. Now, they would not have stopped the dinner there. They would have continued on and consumed the rest of the meal and the fourth cup and sang, as it says there, they sing a hymn at the end of it. They would have finished with singing Psalm 132. And then they leave and they go out to the Mount of Olives and then it just speeds up, right? But you have to think that their minds were just blown. Have you ever been to something so many times and you expect it to go a certain way every single time? You know, this is what happens. Sometimes, a lot of times, church falls into that, doesn't it? I remember growing up, we used to go to um, Episcopal churches. I grew up Episcopalian and we lived all over the country and we would go up um, in Connecticut when we lived there. um, We would go um, to historically significant Episcopal churches, you know, that have been there that George Washington might have been um, in attendance of, you know, George Washington prayed here um, uh, type thing, I guess. And and go to these different beautiful architecture in some of these churches and and, and the, the thing that was always great about it was um, you can go in to an Episcopal church wherever you are and you know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter if you're on the East Coast, the West Coast, the South, the Midwest, wherever. There is a litany that you follow. There's a liturgy. You can look on the side and there will be a little board and it will tell you the hymns, where they're coming And what I would do as a kid is I would always go, I would see the board and I would mark my spots in the hymnal. I'd be like, I'd put little markers so I didn't have to flip. And I'd go, oh, here's this one, here's this one, here's this one. And you follow along. I could do the Episcopal service with both hands tied behind my back, you know, one eye closed, and I could go through it verbatim. It was something that was known. It was something that was comfortable. There's something to say about that. You go into a different place, a different area, a different congregation, and you walk in and you move in to the rhythms of God just as they are at your home church. But then you go one day and you're sitting through this liturgy and you're sitting through this service and all of a sudden the priest does something out of left field and you're like, whoa, what just happened? This is what the disciples would have been going through. This, this, this rhythm of their life was just shattered. This rhythm of a celebration that is a, a chief celebration for the Jewish people. Like, you know, you come in for Sukkot, that celebration. We want you to come in and worship in Jerusalem. But if you can't get there, you know, that's all right. But Passover, you got to be there. This is a big deal, people. This shows God's hand moving us into redemption, into freedom, from slavery to sonship. And so you're going through this rhythm of the liturgy of the Passover meal, and Jesus puts the brakes on it, and he says, 
This is the last, one of the last times he says, I am the Messiah, but I am not the one you thought I would be. He again promises a kingdom. I will not drink again until I drink with you a new wine in the kingdom of God. For the disciples, when Jesus is taken just a few hours later, their world is crushed. They spin out of control and they all disappear. Peter just loses it in front of people. We'll talk about that later. But just just imagine what was happening to them. Because, wait a minute, this isn't the plan. But their mind, maybe after a little bit of shock, maybe starts filtering back through the teachings that they had spent so much time absorbing and hearing the words of Jesus. And maybe they start to think about the Passover meal and they're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. He said his blood. That, that there's something about him dying. Remember, he said the temple's going to be destroyed, but then it's going to come back. Oh, I don't know what that means. You know, just, I can't imagine. We know the rest of the story and it's so easy for us to look at them and go, well, why didn't you get it, John? But think about that moment for them. It's the cup of redemption. And how, how often do we come to the communion table and we just come because it's communion, because it's the first Sunday of the month and that's what you do as a Methodist. How often do we come to the table and we just take the bread and we dip it into the cup and we scoot right along and we go sit down? How often do we come to the table and think about the cup of redemption, the body and blood of Christ, this Eucharist? A beautiful element, a beautiful invitation to life this table is. You see, I think there's something a little bit deeper in this meal. Because while Jesus was celebrating this Passover meal and he's talking about the bread and the blood, the body and the blood and and their significance in this third cup of redemption. And I, I think at the same time that there's almost this element that every meal is this way. That every meal that we break bread together is a meal that the King of Kings is present. This was something that Eugene Peterson talked about um, recently when I heard him. He said that for he and his wife, every meal is a communion meal. Every meal, there's an element of the body and blood of Christ. So we blow through meals. We don't spend time sitting, being with one another, engaging in community, sharing the love we have with one another anymore. We sit in front of televisions or we pick it up and eat it on the go. We do that in our house from time to time. That's just, it's not really. We actually have about an hour long meal every night with candles. We discuss things. Uh, Corbin, how was your day? Great father. Let me tell you about the day. (laughs) Exactly like your house too, right? 
But is there some sense that when we breeze through these moments when we have been seated together and we bless God for the meal that is provided, do we miss something? Do we miss an opportunity to be in communion with one another? Do we miss an opportunity to allow God to speak to us? I don't know. I think yes. And I realize those of us with little kids are rolling your eyes going, yeah, right, maybe five years from now. This is the Lord's table. Today we come and celebrate the new covenant. The covenant between God and his people. The covenant that was fulfilled, paid for, done, redemption on the cross. As we come forward today, let us begin to picture this not as just an act of the church. But let us begin to picture this as something so much deeper, so much bigger, that Christ has invited us into his life. Christ has invited us to consume him so that we might have life. As you come this morning to accept this gift of body and blood, this gift of freedom of life, remember it. And don't let it stay here at this table. I wonder what the disciples did as they sat down to eat in the coming years. I wonder if their entire perception of meal changed. I wonder if living after, immediately after the death and the resurrection and Jesus appearing to them as he says, I'll meet you back in this room. I I wonder if their perception of life in general changed and they began to cherish and they began to celebrate. That Passover didn't happen once a year for them any longer. Because redemption doesn't happen just once a year. It is an ongoing grace of God. We need to move on, so I'm going to ask the people that are helping with communion to come forward. And if the rest of you would bow your heads and pray with me. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this gift of life that we are about to receive. On the night that you were to be betrayed, you sat around the table with your disciples. And you went through the motions up until a point. And then you took the bread and you broke it and you gave thanks to God and you said, take this, eat. This is my body which is given for you. After that was over, you took the cup, the third cup of redemption, and you raised it to God and you blessed God for it. You said, take this drink, all of you. This is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me. And so, God, we come in remembrance of you and your mighty act of salvation. 
We pray, Lord, that you would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, make this be for us the body and blood of Christ. And that we would be holy and living sacrifices to your kingdom. God, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.